Uh, So the two passages this morning, there's uh, one from Psalms and one from Romans. So the first reading is from Psalms 51, verses 10 to 17. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And the second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. It's, uh, it's been almost a year now that we've been looking at the book of Romans together as a church on and off. Can you believe that? Almost a year. And it's been great, hasn't it? But it's been a bit like checking out a muscle car, I reckon. It's a bit like we've been wandering around the outside, appreciating it, admiring it. We've been standing in front of it with the the bonnet up, checking out the massive V8 engine that that powers it. We've sat down in the driver's seat and kind of smelt the leather and and felt the leather with our hands. We've turned the engine over a couple of times and, and revved it a little bit. And at one point, we even got to watch Paul back it out of the driveway onto the street. It's been great, but there's still more to see, plenty more to see. Because we get to to chapter 12 and suddenly Paul says to us, get in, it's time to take it out and see what this baby can do. 
And he chucks you the keys and he says, oh, and you're driving. Now, for some of us, you know, that just, that just sends a thrill down our spine. But for others, more sort of safe, boring Volvo drivers like myself, it also kind of fills you with a sense of terror at the same time. How am I going to drive this beautiful, powerful beast and not kill myself and a few dozen cyclists on Gorge Road? Well, this next section in Romans that goes right through almost to the end of, of the letter, actually, it's all about taking the car out of the driveway onto the open road and just letting it rip. It's all about seeing the power of the gospel at work in our day-to-day lives. And yeah, actually some of the corners that we're going to go around, that you go around in a life driven by the gospel, are a little bit terrifying, a bit scary. Like next week, we come across this. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. The gospel sends us careening around that corner and, yeah, it's a bit scary, but it's also thrilling. The week after, the gospel takes us to this. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. A bit scary, but thrilling. And then the following week, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Again, a bit scary, but thrilling. We come to to corner after corner in this next section where we see the gospel makes a massive difference to our day-to-day lives. It, It powers a life that is so different to what our lives would otherwise be. Chapter 12 and onwards is Paul saying to us, drop the clutch, hit the accelerator, hold on to the steering wheel and see for yourself what God has in store for your life. Now, I'm not sure why... um, Paul didn't use a muscle car as an illustration in the letter. I guess not everyone's into cars. Instead, he illustrates his point in the language of sacrifice. So let's have a look at it. Look at verse 1 at how he puts it. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. After 11 chapters of of walking around, appreciating God's mercy, after 11 chapters of seeing just what Jesus has done for us at the cross, 11 chapters of of seeing the the difference um, that the plan of God makes to this world, the plan of God for people who don't deserve it, after all that, having seen the beauty and the power of God's mercy, what should we do? What should I do? What should you do? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. If you've been saved by God, brought into his family as a free gift, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And this isn't some kind of reluctant sense of duty that it's talking about here. You know, this isn't kind of like Centrelink and and God's debt repayment scheme that he set up for us. This is still God's mercy at work that we're coming into. Because God's mercy is not simply us being saved from the penalty of sin. That is part of it. That's a huge part of it. But his mercy also saves us from the power of sin. You know, God's mercy doesn't just forgive us, 
but he also drives the way we live. That's where his mercy takes us. When I was on holidays a, a few weeks ago in Robe, I was out swimming uh, at, at the main beach there, and I was a fair way out, and I saw this fly just floating on the water, struggling, going along in front of me. And so I, I picked it up and I, I put it on my shoulder and brought it back to shore. <laughs> Kathy thought it was weird. I thought it was heroic. But then, straight after that, one of my kids called me back into the water. So you know what I did with that fly? I took it off my shoulder and I just put it back down on the sand. And I'm pretty sure the very next wave washed it back into the water. My mercy to that fly really didn't stretch very far. I saved it. But then after that, it was on its own. Now, obviously, God's mercy is nothing like that. His mercy goes on. He saves us. But he doesn't just leave us to it. He saves us into a way of living where he draws us ever closer to all he has called us to be and all he will one day make us be. But notice here, it really is his mercy that goes on working in us. But at the same time, we don't just sit back. His mercy propels us to action. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We do that. We offer ourselves. You know, like driving a car. It's the engine that that throws you up Gorge Road. But if you don't hit the accelerator, you're not even leaving the driveway. So Paul tells us, having seen God's mercy, what we should do in response. It's clear and it's hugely important. We should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Okay, so what does this mean though? What does it actually mean to do this? The people of God before Jesus came used to offer sacrifices to atone for their sin, to make themselves right with God. But you might remember, if you've been with us on this journey through Romans, that we saw in Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's nothing more that we need to add to make us right with God, to atone. In fact, there's nothing more that we could add And if we were to even try to add something more to that kind of sacrifice, it would be saying to God, Jesus, sacrifice is inadequate. Let me add my own contribution. That's not the kind of sacrifice that Paul is urging us to make here in chapter 12. This isn't about atonement. This isn't about repairing our relationship with God. This is about responding to God. It's about responding as someone whose relationship with God is already fully repaired for good, for life. This is about us having died to living for ourselves and instead living for Jesus in response to his mercy. So look at how we're to understand this kind of sacrifice. In verse 1, we read, it's our bodies we offer, which means our, our whole selves in this world, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's a living sacrifice, which means it's not a once-off kind of occurrence. It's ongoing. You've probably heard the expression, Noel is where I heard it for the first time, not surprisingly. It's sort of dad joke-ish. Sorry, Noel, but um, he does like a good dad joke, Noel. The expression goes, the problem with living sacrifices is... They keep crawling off the altar. That's right. 
It's a really good illustration. Thank you, Noel. It's actually quite powerful. Uh, being a living sacrifice is hard because it's not a once-off occurrence. It's ongoing. It goes on and on. And we want to, we want to kind of get off from that type of living sometimes. We get more details of what this looks like. Paul writes, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Holy means set apart. It means distinct. It means different. And our distinction is we live our entire lives for God. And Paul says to us, this is your true and proper worship. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most human religion works off this principle. It goes, I will worship God so that he will bless my plans. I worship God so that he will bless my plans. That's pagan religion. And even mistaken Christian religion lives by this way of thinking. And if we're honest, we're drawn to it. We think this way too. I will worship God so that he will bless my plans. But God flips this entirely on his head. We don't worship him so that he'll bless our plans. We worship him because he's already blessed us beyond what we could ever dream or imagine. And he's blessed us in such a way that we join his plans. In view of his mercies, we worship. And when you think about that, when you see what that means, you can see what true and proper worship of God looks like. I mean, how do you worship God? Is it during the songs here on a Sunday? Well, it is, but, but it's more than that, isn't it? Is it on a Sunday in general? Well, it's more again. We worship God with an all-of-life worship, which means in every place, in every time that we respond to the mercies of God, we are worshipping God. And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is some examples of what true and proper worship of God in everyday life looks like. But just before Paul gets to these specific examples, he he gives us a bit more of an understanding of what's needed if we're going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Look at verse 2. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, Do not conform, but be transformed. If we're going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, it will mean first not conforming to the pattern of this world. Now, the idea here is that this world has got a way of thinking and living that puts an enormous pressure on us to conform. When you, when you give up worshipping God and, and you worship other things, you end up living in a way that actually deserves God's wrath And you live in a way that you really want other people to join you in it. And sometimes the way that this works out is obvious. If you remember back to Romans 1, we we saw a way that that it worked out. And particularly in Romans 1, the pressure to conform around sexuality back then, but also now, is is huge. We've seen it play out in, in the news this week even. But the pressure to conform is there in really obvious ways, but it's also there in really subtle ways. Look at chapter 1, verse 31. Paul writes, They have no understanding, no fidelity, no faith, no love. Although they know God's righteous 
decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Conforming to the, to the pattern of this world also here means a lack of faithfulness, a lack of love, a lack of mercy. As um, Christians, we actually need to be really careful not to make the mistake of thinking that it's our non-conforming that equals offering our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, sometimes Christians are really good non-conformists. They're really good non-conformists, but in quite worldly patterns. They're difficult. They're objectionable. They're cold and unloving. They're without mercy. And they're not like their Father in heaven at all. And really, their non-conformity is too superficial. It doesn't go deep enough. And the way they think and treat those who think differently is in the same pattern of this world. The hope and energy that they put into the things of this age is in the same pattern as this world. If we're going to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, it will mean first not conforming to the pattern of this world, But notice how that happens in verse 2. We are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Non-conformity is only part of it. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is key. So what exactly does that mean? Because when I read that initially, it sounds kind of Zen Buddhist, don't you think, to renew your mind. But Paul, he's not talking about meditation here or some kind of spiritual ritual. You see what he's talking about as you see the result that it brings to our lives. He goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. A mind being renewed is about seeing the world God's way. A mind... Being renewed is is about being aligned again and again with what God has revealed his will to be. And the idea here of of testing and approving God's will is the idea of agreeing with God. Agreeing in a way that's not just sort of in our heads a mental agreement, but it's a way of living that flows from agreeing with God and embraces his will for ourselves. Now, if you've got kids, what do you want for them? When I think about my kids and and what I want for them, I want them to approve my will, not in a controlling way. Let me explain. Even though I'm, I'm a flawed person, what I want, really want for my kids is for them to embrace truth and compassion and things like that. That's my will for them. I really want them to embrace, embrace that. And I don't want them just to be people who tell the truth because that's what I want and who are compassionate because that's what I want. I want them to agree with me that that truth is just so valuable. I want them to agree with me that compassion is just so beautiful. I want them to embrace for themselves what is good along with me. I don't want them just to embrace the appearance of being nice people. That's the idea that's going on here, that by not conforming, but by God transforming us by having a renewed mindset over and over again, a mindset that renews itself on God's plan 
his character, his way of life, his word. That way we'll fully embrace his will and we will joyfully offer our bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. So that's the the sort of thinking that, that sets up the very practical examples that follow. So what does this look like though? What is being a living sacrifice in this non-conforming, transformed way? What does it look like? Well, the good news for me is that that's Mark's job next week to really explain that. (laughs) Next week is just practical example after practical example. But actually this week we do get a practical example of what this looks like. And we're going to have a very quick look look at what it looks like in just a moment. But just before we move on to the practical, I need to make sure that we've really got this. Have you got it? We've spent 11 chapters in Romans looking at the mercy of God. We've spent 12 months appreciating God's mercy. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if we missed that the mercy of God drives us with absolute clarity to say, I need to offer my life in this broken world to God. I need to, I want to, entirely, at all times, in all places. I need to conform no longer to this broken world, but to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to conform no longer. I want to be transformed. My work, my parenting, my sex life, my money, my spare time, in in how I approach these things, working, parenting, having sex, spending money, using my time, all of it is lived out joyfully, beautifully, as a sacrifice to God. Have we really got that? When this service ends, is that what we're going to walk away with when we walk out these doors? When you go to work or, or school tomorrow, when you come home on Wednesday after work or school, will you be thinking, this is for you, God. This is my living sacrifice This is my worship because of your mercy. And until we've got that really clear, we're not ready to go on to the examples. But I hope after 12 months we do have that as a church and we're ready to move on to the examples. So have a look at the first one because for me, I find it, it's not really what I would have expected. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, For by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In view of the mercies of God, we're to view ourselves with sober judgment. We're not to think too highly of ourselves. But mind you, neither are we to think too lowly of ourselves either. And this is our, our final point and, and the first example, unexpected example of worship. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself and your place among God's people with sober judgment. Our mind being renewed means we're to measure ourselves in accordance with the faith that God has given us. Now, this isn't saying, okay, those with lots of faith, they should think really highly of themselves and those with just 
little faith, well, you should be ashamed of yourself. It's not saying that at all. Paul's not talking about the quantity or quality of our faith here. He's saying, understand your place in the kingdom of God through the lens of faith. Like glasses, through the lens of faith. And what does the lens of faith tell us about our place and our role in the kingdom? Well, do you remember last week we saw that faith is in the shape of humility? And so thinking about ourselves in accordance with the faith that God's given us means we don't feel arrogant or superior to others. It means we don't rate ourselves too highly. But neither does faith lead us to despair or self-loathing or downplaying our gifts and abilities. What faith does is it leads us to measure and value ourselves and our abilities differently. Look at how we we judge ourselves and and others looking at things God's way in verse 4. Paul writes, For just as each one of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The first place that a renewed mind takes us is to see ourselves and to see each other differently. I see, first of all, that it's not all about me. I'm a part of a body. It's the same for you. But second, I see, I really matter. I'm actually really needed in this body. You know, Mark illustrated it beautifully with the kids. He did make some of the kids cry, but we'll we'll forgive him that. If my hands think it's it's all about me, you know, I, sorry, all about them, you know, they want to do all the talking and, and the walking and they want to have special clubs that are, adorn them, I don't know, like a white glove or something like that, it's weird and it's not going to work. And if my hands won't help the rest of my body either, right, because they're too proud, no, not going to do it, or because they just think they're inadequate or unwilling for any reason, You know, they don't think they've got what it takes. If my hands won't help the rest of my body, then I'm in trouble. I need my hands to look after my feet, to put my shoes on, to tie up my shoelaces. Now, Paul's point is that it's like this for us as a church, as a community that belongs to Jesus here. The mercy of God changes how I think of myself. It changes how you think of yourself. I see I'm not wonderful in and of myself, But nonetheless, I'm loved by God and I'm gifted by God and I'm gifted for a purpose to serve his people. And it's exactly the same for you. And then at the same time, the mercy of God changes how I see others, how we see each other here. I now am to see you as a part of Jesus' own body something I'm also a part of. I'm to see you as as loved by God and as a way that I can be a living sacrifice by serving you. And it's exactly the same for you. So let me ask you, in view of God's mercy, is this how you see yourself? Is this how you see everyone who's here? Are you using your your gifts and abilities to boost your ego or to serve God's people? 
Or on the other hand, are you sitting on gifts and not using them? Are you sitting back for whatever reason and not serving the rest of the body? You know, a renewed mind, a sober view of ourselves sees our God-given gifts and doesn't think how valuable they are to me, but how they can be of value to others. And you know what? You don't need a formal role or a title or a formal recognition to care for others. You don't need to be commissioned. You already have been in Christ. You just need to see things and value things God's way. Look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And, And when you think about it, it's quite humbling. Our abilities are actually just given to us. But it's also challenging because they're given to us for a specific purpose. And so he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Now, just like before, this isn't saying the bigger your faith, the more spectacular your prophecy will be. It's not like that. This is saying that a gift is to be used consistent with the measure of faith. You know, prophecy should always be in the shape of the faith. It shouldn't be a distortion to the faith. Uh, If a gift is used in a way that that actually stands outside of the faith, that runs against the grain of what God has revealed his will to be, then it's not being used in accordance with faith. Because using our gifts is, is not the goal in and of itself. God's mercy is driving us to use our gifts with a renewed mind as a living sacrifice, which means we want to use them in the way he directs. The goal is always serving the body and never harming it. Now, this particular gift is a bit tricky prophecy because we're never given a a manual or a description in the New Testament of, of how to go about doing it which means we should always be a bit wary of those who are too confident in telling us exactly what it looks like. You just won't find that in Scripture. But it seems to be some kind of specific revelation from God that doesn't carry the same authority as Scripture. And so Paul's point here is that it's it's only ever valuable if it accords with faith, and it's never valuable if it's outside God's instructions to us in the Gospel and in Scripture. But next, Paul then runs through these other gifts and roles. And and he says, if if it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. And it kind of seems really obvious. And it seems too obvious to even bother saying it. But Paul's point here is, if you're gifted for certain roles, certain responsibilities, then get on with the obvious purpose of those roles rather than for some other self-interested purpose. And the roles that he lists here are really just examples. In other places in the Bible, he gives different lists. And so we could equally say, if you're the senior pastor, if you're the associate pastor, if you're the magnification leader, don't use your gifts and your role for selfish reasons. We could equally say if you're a community group leader or on the leadership team or a ministry team leader or a Trinity Kids or Trinity Youth leader, don't do it to be admired or for self-fulfillment or to feel significant. In view of the mercy of God, 
we have all the significance that we could ever need in the acceptance of God through faith in Jesus. We need to keep being renewed in our minds as the Spirit works in us to transform us, to think differently. So that any gift that we have, any responsibility we have, we don't ignore, we don't downplay. That would be false humility. Instead, we use it in the service of God's people in the way God wants us to use it for the purpose he wants us to use it. Are you a community group leader? or a Trinity Kids leader, or a youth leader. These, these roles, they're not about status. They're about service. They're about us recognizing your gifts and asking you to use those gifts as a living sacrifice. Today, we launched the year. And Romans 12, it's just really key for us all to hear. All of us who are God's people, we've been gifted by God in different ways. And you don't need a formal role or a title to be gifted by God. You don't need a formal role to get on with using those gifts. This year, as we church plant, and that church plant goes on, and we go on getting on in this new phase of, of, of life as a church, we really need each other. And we really need each of us, each of us to have a sober judgment of ourselves. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought right at this moment, I think our biggest danger is probably not being a prima donna in the way we serve. Our biggest danger is probably not showing off in the way that we serve. I don't think I've really witnessed that here. I mean, partly I might not be focusing enough, but I don't know about you. I just don't see a lot of that here. It's wonderful. But I think our danger at the moment, just in the climate of this time is that we're more likely to want to sit back. We don't feel up to taking on roles or using our gifts. We don't feel like anything special. But can I just say as a church, we don't want people who feel special to lead us. We want people who know God's mercy and who recognize that their gifts are given for a purpose. We want people who see that God is bringing Together are diverse people with different gifts, different backgrounds, all united in Jesus, all united in helping each other live as an entire sacrifice for him. We want people who see that as special. And we'll use the gifts that they have in the way that God wants, wants them to use them to work towards his vision for his people. So let me finish today by asking really the four key things that we've seen as we launch this year. Will you do it? Will you offer your body as a living sacrifice to God? Let me ask you, where do you need to stop conforming to this broken world and keep being renewed in your mind to see things God's way? Where is that for you? It's there for all of us. Where is it for you? How are you at risk of thinking too highly of yourself in how you serve? And finally, where are you holding back in serving the body? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the vision of your mercy that we've seen over Romans. Such a clear vision 
of the power of your mercy, the beauty of it, that though we don't deserve your love, that we only deserve your anger for the way that we've treated you and others. In Jesus, you come to this world with mercy, offering him in our place to repair our relationship with you. Lord, help us to always stand in amazement at your love for us, that you have brought us into your plan to restore this world to what it was always meant to be. And Lord, help us to respond to this mercy by truly, genuinely and completely offering our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Help us to see the joy of this and the beauty of this. Energize us for it. And especially, Lord, today we pray that you would help us not to think too highly of ourselves, nor to downplay the the wonderful gifts that you've given us, but to use them in the way that you would want us to, for the purpose that you would want us to, for the love and care of the people you love so deeply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.